0: Welcome to the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Do you like cooking, reading about food, or even just eating? Then this podcast is for you. My co-host Charlotte and I work in the food industry. We'll be taking you behind the scenes, meeting the people who make it all happen, and showing you what's going on. Together, we'll bring you an inside view from the food industry with our unique perspectives from our work behind the scenes in food creation and production. Every week, along with our special guests, we'll cover different foodie topics, from baking to growing your own, home cooking, outdoor cooking, and even booze. Our aim is to take a positive look at what the nation is cooking and eating right now. There's so much adaptation, galvanization, and collaboration across the entire food system at the moment. we'll be talking to some very special guests about the changes in their world, professional and personal, about remodeling, rethinking and innovating with so much turned upside down and sharing some unique perspectives from field to fork. We'll also consider what food will look like in the future, in the home and outside. This podcast is sponsored by Moorish Hummus, a tasty treat for when eating in is the new going out. Moorish produces a range of delicious dips, including smoked hummus and now new velvet hummus. Moorish is available in Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Ocado and many other stores every week our lucky listeners will be in with a chance to win some delicious dips in our competition at the end of each show along with some other exciting gifts i'm jules waddell founder of moorish hummus yes there is a link and i'm here with my co-host charlotte award-winning cookery writer teacher and chef for more on us check out lovemoorish.co.uk and charlottepike.co.uk. We'll also keep you updated on what shops are open when and for whom on our website, pandemic-pantry.co.uk. So it's time to pull up a chair at the table, sink into the sofa or relax into bed and get ready for the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Hello and welcome to Episode 3 of the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. As we're getting into our stride with the episodes, we'd like to quickly thank everyone who has listened and given us your thoughts and feedback. We're incredibly grateful and glad that you're all enjoying listening as much as we are enjoying recording. And just to reiterate, we are aware that sadly the audio quality is not perfect and very occasionally contains the odd glitch. This is due to the very nature of the pandemic and the fact that we and our guests are recording from home with less than optimal audio acoustics and the occasional glitch with Wi-Fi. Lastly, we have loved receiving your questions about cooking during COVID and there'll be more on that later. So, on to the show. Hi Charlotte, how are you?
1: Hi, Jules. I'm really pleased to say that I'm well, thank you. Um, My friends and family are too, which is obviously on my mind a lot. Uh, Yeah, we think we might have had it, which is a bit of an odd one. We're both quite unwell, but it seemed very strange. We couldn't really work out what was going on had lots of odd symptoms so we may never know if we've had it but that was uh, not very pleasant but nothing too serious but apart from that just um enjoying in some respects being at home obviously not having any any work or income is you know a slight uh, concern but I'm enjoying more time cooking at home and just trying to uh, stay well with you
0: so we're okay. Thank you. Yeah, it's really interesting what you say. You think you might have had it. And I know lots of people who are saying that. I don't personally know anyone who has definitely had it. I don't think. I think I know people who know people who've had it. Uh, but it's such a strange thing, isn't it? And and if you have had it, are you then immune? We, we still don't really know how that's all working. So it's terribly odd. Um, in terms of me and my family, we're we're okay, thank you, still on this massive roller coaster, some days are fine and some days are really not fine and as we go on and on being cooped up together in the house, um, you know, it's quite intense and there are some good bits and then there are some challenging bits so day by day we're just trying to get on with life and um, take each day as it comes but this episode has made us very happy hasn't it Charlotte this baking episode is definitely something that has lightened our days in the recording what do you absolutely, think absolutely
1: absolutely it's been such a joy putting it all together it's been really great fun and it's been really fun doing some baking over the last uh, the last week as well although I'm still struggling to get hold of flour actually
0: Ah, well, we'll cover that. This is a baking special, this episode, and we'll cover everything from flour shortages. We'll be talking to somebody with inside info on that. Uh, We'll be talking about sourdough baking. Have you been able to bake anything this week? I actually made flapjacks today because we didn't have any flour. What about you?
1: Oh, delicious. No, I have also made fat jacks and I've been experimenting with different breads made with oats and chickpea flour, which have actually been quite good. But i am I just don't have any white flour at all. Have you been able to get hold of some?
0: I have. Yes. So my local shop seems to have some sort of magic powers. They have had everything from eggs to bread to tinned tomatoes that people seem to be struggling to get elsewhere. I'm not sure how she does it, but she's doing it. And we're all very grateful. Um, so I do have, I don't have a huge amount of flour. Um, I'm certainly not hoarding flour, but I'm able to get supplies as and when we need it. So let's talk about what is going to be on this week's show. We've been delighted to talk to Martha Collison, who you might remember was the youngest baker on the Great British Bake Off, and she now runs a brilliant blog. We'll put a link to the blog on our website. We've also got an exclusive interview with Tess Lister of the Shipton Mill Flour Company, and it'll be so interesting to hear what she has to say about the shortages we're seeing on the flour shelves at the moment and what they're doing about it at the mill. Finally, we're talking to an amazing artisan bakery owner, Megan Charnock. All of that and some useful insider news from what's coming across my desk as a food supplier to supermarkets.
1: And finally, we've had some fantastic questions from our listeners, which I'll be answering at the end of the show. You can ask us your questions on social media or by emailing us at the address hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk. So, on to our guest interviews for this week. Martha Collison is a baker and food writer. Martha rose to fame back in 2014 when she reached the quarterfinals of the Great British Bake Off, aged just 17. She was their youngest ever contestant. Since then, she's written two hugely popular baking books, Twist and Crave, and writes a much-loved recipe column for Waitrose Weekend, which is now published online. Martha is an active supporter of a number of charities supporting young women and refugees and is an ambassador for international relief and development charity tier fund. Martha Collison, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thank you very much. Martha it's so great to have you with us, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, One thing that's really interesting about this whole situation it's how many people have been turning to baking at home during <laughs> lockdown. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you've been making and if your cooking has changed at all over the last few weeks.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's been amazing the amount of people who've turned to baking. I don't think I've ever had so many hits on my blog, ever. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> From people just wanting to find new recipes to bake and being a bit more adventurous than they might normally be. I think personally, it's been kind of a back to basic situation I think in day-to-day life when life is so busy and hectic and you would just buy a few convenience things even just things like bread now we're at home all the time it's really fun and nice to put the time into them so I've just found that we've been making loads of bread um where we might buy like sweet treats at, like from a shop as a snack now I'm making them um, just spending more time kind of understanding food and finding comfort in the little things, I think, has been really important in this time. Yeah, I think a lot of people will absolutely empathise with that.
1: Um, how have you found your shopping and sourcing ingredients?
2: Yeah, it's been an adventure, <laughs> as I'm sure many people will uh, be able to relate to. Um, I live in Brighton quite centrally, so that we do not I'm not used to doing a big supermarket shop because there's not any within walking distance really, um, and I have to carry all my shopping home with me. Um, So I've actually been okay compared to lots of people in the sense that I've been to a few big supermarkets in the car and just found that it's, everything's gone. No eggs, no flour, no fresh fruit, veg, but in all of my local convenience shops, like everywhere within a five minute walk, there's been like abundance of fruit and vegetables. They've, really, they've adapted really quickly to the change in demands. And we've pretty much been able to find everything we need, which has been a real godsend and really helpful in helping neighbours and friends who have been isolating, finding them little treats. And I just love how businesses have adapted. So all of the cafes on my road have turned into like mini greengrocers and now sell vegetables and flour and fresh yeast. So I am feel quite blessed in the sense that, It's not been as hard as I think for people living rurally. I know my parents have found it really challenging living in rural Devon to find basics.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what about ingredients for baking? Have you been able to get everything? Obviously, flour seems to be the big one, flour and yeast.
2: (laughs) Flour has definitely been the big one. It's so bizarre, even going to just like a small local um, big name brand supermarket and finding completely no flour at all. Um, the first time I saw it was yesterday. I went to Waitrose and saw flour and stock for the first time. Oh, <laughs> really? Um, but but to me, it kind of it's a bit of a pain but it's also really exciting that people are actually wanting to buy flour because normally people don't buy that much flour because they are not planning on baking that much it's just to kind of like oh have it in the back of the cupboard in case you need to make a roux or in case you want to do some fairy cakes but actually the idea that people are now see it as a key ingredient I found quite exciting and quite made me quite happy that people are really prioritising buying good flour again. Yeah, I do know exactly what you mean. And I thought
1: your comment about the back to basics, um, it was really interesting. And I think that's certainly what a lot of people are finding at the moment. What do you think it is specifically about baking that really attracts people when times are difficult either sort of in a in a wider sense like at the moment or just in times of maybe just emotional difficulty Mm. there's something that really draws people to baking isn't there
2: yeah there really is and i think it's it's the calming thing that the therapeutic nature of baking which people really love it's very hands-on i found myself turning to lots of crafts in this time i'm not wouldn't have really said i was that much of a crafty person but when you have more time on your hands there's something very satisfying about creating and I think yeah. the thing with baking is that actually it's not just opening a packet. It's creating, it's putting your time and your effort. And then the joy that you get when you've made something new and watching people turn to baking. Like My husband has never baked in his whole life. And then over the last month, he started making bread for the first time. And just for both of us, it's the excitement of following its journey, seeing it rise, prove, shaping it, baking it and putting the time into it. And with kneading and stirring and whisking, I think there is just something about the process, which is very relaxing. And I would find that in my kind of what I'd call my previous life (laughs) before lockdown, is that I would turn to cooking as my kind of escape, whereas now there's not so much need for an escape, if you like, because we're all inside. Um, It's that calming, kind of relaxing, making something for your family, making something that will bring people joy. I think that's always been a big key element in baking, is that it's something which just for you, it's to share. And even though it might be a bit harder to share it, it does bring you that joy of going, oh, this has made me happy. There's something that tastes great that I can eat that will uh, bring a bit of light to my day. And there's something
0: can... magical about baking, isn't there? As you say, the mixing and the proving, and, and, and then things happen, and, and what looked not very appealing at the beginning when you put the eggs and the flour and the sugar together it turns into this amazing thing. There's a sort of a magic about it when you take it out of the oven and go, oh, wow, hopefully that looks really good. But also that that point that you made about back to basics, that's also making me think. And, you know, we've had so much access to cooking and ingredients and baking and bake-off and it's all been out there, but we haven't actually had the time to play. Mm. Well, I've known about sourdough. I've made a few starters that never went anywhere because I just didn't have the time to, to nurture them. And actually to to start doing these things in a slower way and have that time to play and not just read a recipe off the internet, but find your own way with food. Is that something that you're seeing with people?
2: Definitely. And I think it's also just about appreciation of ingredients. I think before we were just so used to just throwing things into the basket, throwing things into the trolley without really thinking where they come from, if they're local or not, like who's made them. Whereas now, I think when you can't, when you suddenly can't get something, the appreciation of veg boxes and different flower brands has just been off the chart. Just when you find an egg in the supermarket and you're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you think, how much this has changed whereas a month ago you would you wouldn't even think twice about putting an egg into your basket so I've loved the appreciation of ingredients coming back and I think yeah as you say when you've got more time to appreciate them and everything kind of is feels worth more when you haven't got an abundance of it so I think people are putting more time and love into their bakes they're not just throwing things together for the sake of it people are actually putting in the effort to get really good results.
1: I think that's really true. And I certainly personally feel as though I really hope that these, um, these skills and that interest is something that will endure when we start to get back to normal, because I think it's really important. Do you have any advice for anyone who's getting started with baking at the moment, maybe for the first time?
2: I think what I would say is probably relating to my last point is keep it quite simple in Mm. the sense that because ingredients now hold quite a lot of value, (laughs) um, don't go crazy for your first bake. Um, Find something which your family will enjoy eating because it's one thing to bake loads of new things, but if actually nobody that you live with is going to enjoy eating what you're making, (laughs) Um, try and find something which is a crowd pleaser because I think getting that encouragement is the best boost to lift you into baking more. Um so I'd yeah, say start with something quite simple, maybe a, like a flapjack or a good tray bake and start to master those kind of classic skills. I mean, I'm a massive advocate for understanding food and the science behind baking. As Julie was saying, how the, the kind of the magic of putting something in the oven and knowing how it turns out. But don't be afraid of failure. Like, actually, if something doesn't work, there'll be a reason for it. It won't just be. Random fluke or random chance. You don't really get random chance in baking. So investigate it. Like, have a look online, do some troubleshooting, drop me a message on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, and just let's investigate. Let's try and work out why things go wrong so that you can build on your skills for the future.
0: New title for you. You can be the baking doctor. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of what's going wrong and you can help to fix it. It must be lovely to sort of have that feeling of being able to help people because we're all feeling a little bit helpless, aren't we?
2: Yeah, it is so lovely. I think the baking and the food community in particular has really pulled together throughout this and it's just been really nice to see. It must be about 10 times more people baking recipes and tagging me in them and baking with kids and just really getting to the nitty-gritty with food whereas before it was much more of an opportunistic oh maybe we'll bake at the weekend whereas I think now it's become more part ingrained in people that actually to create is something that we were almost made to do and actually doing it with your family or doing it on your own and giving it to a neighbor is kind of something which is so beneficial to other people's lives.
0: Absolutely. So what, what was your life like before, Martha? Give us a Martha would wake up in the morning, she would do this, probably I'm assuming, go here, there and everywhere, at least a bit. And now Martha wakes up in the morning and goes nowhere. <laughs> that like? What was it like before and what's it like now?
2: Oh man, um, it definitely feels really different. And it's funny because I'm a freelancer and I work from home. So a lot of people say, Well, it must be the same. This surely if you work from home, <laughs> you're now just working from home. But I think actually the feeling of not having anything not to look forward to because i don't want to put a down on it but not having any things in the diary normally i'd wake up and i'd look in my diary look over the week and be like oh this day i'm going up to london or i'm visiting a friend or i'm going to pick up ingredients or working with brand or having a meeting and i remember the very first week of lockdown it was just seeing everything get pulled <laughs> every event every kind of judging opportunity just everything went in a week and suddenly i thought oh <laughs> is a bit strange um because it's one thing working from home but also going out and about and traveling I love to travel I love to try new things and meet different people and then suddenly to just kind of be boxed in a little bit like actually no you're not going anywhere in the next couple of months or the foreseeable future you're not going to any meetings it does become a little bit isolating I think I've been quite fortunate in the sense my husband is working from home so we're getting to spend more time together but even that has been a big change because I'm used to this being like my domain in the day my kind of test kitchen and then suddenly it's like actually oh no, I need to make lunch at the right time for two people and I could empathize <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's all good stuff like I'm really enjoying each meal having a bit more purpose and being a nice break from the day whereas before it would be like oh I haven't had lunch quick (laughs) throw something together whereas now I put a lot more thought into these things because I really look forward to them but yeah definitely a change now it's more of a wake up um what am I going to make today what will help people today so I think trying to find I've been doing a lot of store cupboard baking recipes because I think people are looking for easy things trying to conserve conserve their stores of ingredients so I've been trying to think of things that people can make that will be encouraging to them, and I'm also taking the opportunity of having a live-in cameraman for the foreseeable. <laughs> so i be making lots of videos. It's lots easier with two people than one.
0: <laughs> Very handy. And what when you're not thinking about what to help other people with with your baking and cooking, what what are you making for you? What kind of food are you eating at the moment? What what are you enjoying?
2: Oh, my goodness. Um, We're enjoying a lot of pasta. I feel like it's been quite a carb-heavy month, but, you know, we all need a bit of comfort (laughs) every now and again. Um, I've been making a little bit from scratch, but also just trying to get really good at making good sauce and making it just a really enjoyable, warm plate of food. Because even though we have more time, it doesn't mean that I want to spend hours on every meal like sometimes you just need a bit of a break (laughs) and it's if i've been working on a baking recipe all day i want something quick but nutritious and interesting and i've also been really loving getting into different cuisines so i love um asian food we normally would go out for it but as we can't do that it's been trying to recreate more of those flavors at home we're quite lucky to live near a big um oriental supermarket so being able to go there and try different ingredients um, try and make my own noodles for the first time, just stuff that I would never have thought about not wasting time doing, but spending time doing in the past. I'm now like, Do you know what, let's give it a go and see how hard it is and see if it's something that I would incorporate into my routine in the future or actually if it's just something I would leave to the pros.
0: And in this in this new world and new way of doing things, have you found things that actually you think it's a better way and things that you would like to to hold on to when when we are able to, to go back to some sort of normality?
2: I think definitely. I think I'm loving the thoughtfulness, I think, which is going into food, because I'm someone that really adores food anyway, so I would have liked to think I was quite thoughtful about what I ate anyway, but this new kind of, part of life has made me so much more appreciative of each thing that I'm eating, each thing that's on my plate and where it's from. So I'd love to take that forward. I think supporting local businesses, I've really loved, I love cheese. So it's been um, a tough time for British cheesemakers and it's been really exciting to see people come together and actually order directly from cheesemakers and think about local farms that you could support for milk or eggs or vegetables. So I think taking things like a little bit closer to home has been really nice and I hope that people kind of stick on with that local delivery services and supporting local businesses in, in that way.
0: I think there's just there's a nice feeling that comes with doing that isn't there there's something sort of old-fashioned but yet really nice and and positive and you just reminded me my cheese delivery is coming this afternoon so. Oh exciting. <laughs> I think we're all finding these ways and people are getting you know veg boxes and uh, the butcher is delivering just sort of back to the 1950s not that I was born then but I imagine it's a little bit like that but at some point it will all change again um you know we're probably looking at some sort of gradual changes and then there'll be a new new what are you looking forward to that um you can't do now that that you would like to be able to do again at some point give us three things that That you're really looking forward to Martha?
2: Oh it's hard it's hard to choose just three isn't it? Um, I think the number one thing I'm really looking forward to is seeing family I mean um, we live down in Brighton but none of my family live here so we've not seen anyone in our extended family for quite a while and we really miss them it's just bizarre how much even though we wouldn't see them every day or even every month just when that opportunity is taken away from you suddenly just makes you want to be with people and eat with people and have people around for dinner so Family and friends would definitely be the first one. Um, I think going to restaurants would be something that I'm really excited about doing. <laughs> um, we live just in a really bustling food community and it was really sad seeing them all board up the restaurants for the foreseeable or work at how to do takeaway, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. So it would be really nice just to be in that kind of environment again. Um, oh, I thought of a third one. Oh. And the third one would be travel. I think just we had... It's easy to let your mind wander in these times where we're stuck in our own homes about where we would love to be. And I just can't wait to um, travel around the UK and go on holiday <laughs> again. We were supposed to go to Berlin um, about a month ago just for a long weekend. And we're just really looking forward to discovering a bit of new food scene and having some new experiences. So I'm really, I really think I'll really appreciate that next time you can get on a plane or get on a boat and really enjoy that kind of thing.
0: Well, hopefully it won't be too long. And as you say, you'll really appreciate it even more when it does happen. So thank you very much for your time, Martha. It's been an absolute joy. We cannot wait to put this episode out. So thank you very much and uh, happy baking. You're so welcome. That was so interesting and lovely to hear that Martha's blog is booming. Do look out for the links to that on our website, pandemic-pantry.co.uk. Next, we speak to Tess Lister from Shipton Flour Mill.
1: Tess Lister works for her family's heritage flour mill, Shipton Mill, in Gloucestershire. Shipton Mill is a traditional flour mill milling a wide and diverse range of top quality organic flours, from the familiar white wheat flours to a range of specialist heritage grains. There has been a mill on this spot since the time of the Doomsday Book, which Tess's father John found in 1979 and painstakingly restored. The arts and craft movement and revival of traditional skills were at the heart of their restoration, and they now produce exceptional quality flour with respect for the environment and the land. Their farmers farm without the use of chemicals and using sustainable practices to promote soil fertility and regeneration. Ship to Mill holds a royal warrant for flour milling from His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, who lives just a few miles down the road. It is I have to say, a truly magical spot with its beautifully restored mill, river, and mill pond to a thriving ecosystem. Customers can, in usual times, buy flour directly from the mill as well as online. Ship to Mill also supplies flour to a large number of bakeries, restaurants, and hotels. Tessa her father and brother on the business and shares snapshots of life at the mill and her delicious recipes on her website, The Miller's Daughter, and is the author of A Handful of Flour, Recipes from Shipton Mill, a beautiful cookery book, Chammy's Favourite Recipes. Tessa, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Tess, thank you so much for joining us. It seems as though there's been an explosion in demand from people at home looking to buy flour. Even a few weeks in, as we are now, it's still the one ingredient I can't get my hands on. I understand the number of orders you're receiving on through the roof. Can you talk us through the last few weeks for you and your family at Milk, please?
3: Yes, absolutely. Um so previously most of our trade in the past has gone to artisan bakeries and chefs Um, usually the quantity of website orders that we receive for home bakers is is very consistent and we don't need to monitor it uh, on a daily basis so we'd usually get maybe 100 orders a day um, for micro bakeries and home bakers that would come in through the website and then one morning as you may have heard um, My dad say in an interview, we we woke up and there were around 10,000 orders waiting for us to dispatch. So we were suddenly required to step up and try and supply thousands of home bakers in an incredibly short space of time. So it's been a real challenge to increase our workloads to meet a jump in demand like that overnight which as you would expect coincided with some of the lockdown measures being introduced Um, when we saw the ten thousand orders we just had to close the online shop completely um, because we couldn't take any more on and we just worked flat out for for three weeks to clear that backlog we we did it we did it um uh, it, it was um Definitely not mistake-free, but we we got there and um, as you can imagine, it also generated an enormous amount of customer correspondence that we're not used to from home bakers if you've sort of gone from 100 to 10,000. So we've got a lovely team of Louise and Rebecca in the office who deal with that and suddenly it was sort of not just the warehouse that was impacted, but our our office team inbox was just um, absolutely inundated. So we, we cleared it and a couple of weeks ago we've reopened the online shop but obviously the challenge has been to prevent having to close again if we get swamped with that level of demand and how we can stagger that um, to be able to remain open. So we've, we've developed a very rudimentary sort of queuing system, which um, is far from ideal, but our web designers come up within a very short space of time to, to sort of say, right, you can at least open the shop. It's not perfect, but, but you're back online again. And it prevents us from being able to take on more orders than we can physically process in a day. So we just release what we can take on. And then once that's done, we start again start the next day with a clean slate. So what um, is it that is
0: preventing you from fulfilling bigger orders? The, is it the staff? Is it the, the grain? Is it the milling process? The bags?
3: Um, it's, it's a combination of a few factors. Um, so in terms of the logistical side... It's, it's that we're not really set up to deal with lots of individual home baker orders on that scale. So the number of people who currently want to buy, if we usually do 100 a day and you might get 10,000 upwards, it takes um, a lot more labour to pack small bags into retail boxes which go out to multiple home bakers compared to you know a pallet of one type of flour, it goes to a smaller selection of bakeries So there's that logistical challenge on the packing side um, but also on the delivery side we use for home bakers we use a courier company for, for all of our website orders and they are used to us having you know 100 or so orders going out each day and they, they manage their capacity based on our you know what they expect our company needs to be. So overnight they also had to say, right, well, you usually get this many trucks, but now you're saying you need this many and we just can't we just can't get that to you overnight. because um, obviously the courier companies are facing the same strains that lots of businesses are with, with drivers off work and suddenly everyone wants to order online for home delivery and there must be so many businesses like ours who, I think, need that extra support from them.
1: Wow. And what's the picture like in terms of grain supply and milling? I understand there's not a shortage of grain. It's just the issues processing it, really, that are causing um, nationwide flour issues. Yeah, I, th- I
3: think um, I have I've not found there to be a grain shortage. My brother Joe deals with all of our grain su- sourcing and supply, and he said there's been a slowing down perhaps on the transportation side of grains from Europe where you know, usually it's driven over and lorry drivers may not want to undertake that kind of travel under the present conditions. So it's not stopping that the grain is still coming, but it is just having a knock-on effect on the amount of time that it takes to get here. However, there isn't, um, there isn't a shortage and we also work It's part of our sourcing policy as you mentioned in your introduction to work with as many local farmers as we can and build up relationships over the years with with those suppliers who can provide us with the best quality weeds on on the milling side as well logistically we've been we've been very lucky in that we've been able to keep milling the mills on lockdown we haven't had any illnesses in the team so we've been able to keep going obviously with stone grinding, you can't just speed it up. Um, if you want to produce a flour of the right quality, there is, there is that, you know, it can only go at a certain speed. But from talking to my dad, John, he's sort of the, the logistical issues are not so much the milling grain as the, the packing. Also the packaging. Um, there are very long lead times on packaging at the moment, so we don't have enough packaging or trained staff to actually pack 24-7 which is one of the other issues and then the delivery because we can't get necessarily collections every day or they might only be able to take half of what we need to send out to our customers
0: so so as a business person how does it feel because I'm I'm sort of putting myself in your shoes and if if I had orders that I couldn't fulfill um and this may be a once in a lifetime well hopefully you know this situation is so unusual um you know there is there's a huge opportunity for you guys there but lots and lots of challenges to actually fulfill such such amazing order quantities how does that feel from a business point of view are you okay with it and just gonna say we'll do our best and and we're really trying as hard as we can and that's okay or are you thinking oh I wish we'd we'd had some sort of warning or crystal ball how does it
3: (laughs) um well I I think it There's a sort of, um, I think we feel a responsibility to get as much flour out to people who need it as we possibly can. And it's a real delight when people write into us and they say how happy it's made them because it is such a basic ordinary ingredient and there really isn't this level of interest in it normally. So it's such a nice feeling and um, customers have taken the time to write us really lovely letters um, but on the flip side um, obviously we can't take on all of the orders physically from you know from the number of people who want to order we are a small flour mill and we can't take them on all at once because it's just not physically possible and I really hate that feeling of um, disappointing people so there are also lots of people out there who are desperate for flour and it's you know a family business so it's, we're really passionate about it and I, I feel sort of very disappointed when we can't take on everybody's order in one go, but it's, it's just not possible to sort of make that shift in the timeframe we've had.
1: Tess, what are you um, seeing in terms of changes in your customer base? What are you seeing um, in terms of increases in new customers and what's your split now like between home bakers and bakeries and businesses?
3: Um, We've seen certainly a a huge increase in home bakers as I mentioned Um, so there definitely has been a profile shift in that sense whether or not they will still continue to shop with us I don't know I think it's too soon to say and um, I very much appreciate that there are a lot of people who may not shop with us repeatedly who need flour for because they're in isolation or you know for self-sufficiency um, so I don't know how many of them will necessarily need to continue to shop with us going forwards, but um, it's nice to be able to try and help as many people and small businesses um, as possible.
1: And are you getting any time to bake at the moment? I've been um, working my way through your beautiful book, I made your focaccia oh, you. um, this oh. week which was stunning. Um, oh, thank what, you. Um, what are you uh, baking at the moment, if indeed you have any time? For that? Um.
3: I have done a bit of baking. Over the Easter bank holiday, I baked um, a gruyere and onion tart, which is my sort of favourite Easter bank holiday lunch. Delicious. Um, and I'm attempting our head baker, Chris Hollister. He has a recipe for sourdough pizza, which I was hoping to share later this week or next week. So I'm testing that one out um, to see... that goes at the moment and if it's good we'll have pizza for dinner tonight.
1: Amazing, Um, I understand even your book sold out though.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah
1: yeah, sadly
3: um, the the publishers printers have had to close for the virus so we're we're out of stock but it's it's still on Kindle and we're hoping we might be able to get some more in in June fingers crossed.
1: Fantastic, so that's one to watch.
0: That's the knock-on effect of things that you don't even realise. Are, are are happening because of the situation. Uh, well, I guess that is a lovely perk of the job that you get to test out things like sourdough pizza. I wish I uh, I lived in your house, <laughs> so what So talking about your house and your home and your life, what, what, what was your day-to-day life like before? So Tess wakes up in the morning, Tess does this, this, and this, and then what's that like now? We're trying to get a feel for how things have changed for different people because some people are feeling it more than others, some people's lives, you know, still producing or farming or whatever. What 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 was your life like and what's it like now?
3: Um so before, um I spent most of my time on our tech remill site. Um and then I, I work over the water wheel. There's a little office up there. Um and I was mostly doing marketing creative and a little bit of legal from time to time, although that's very ancillary. Um, and then I, I also spend a few days a week in North London. Obviously on lockdown that has changed entirely. So I'm now living on site at our Frampton Mill and the rest of my family are living on site at the Teppery Mill. So I'm not actually, we're, we're having to Zoom call um, for our meetings um, and we've got all of our teams in sort of separate units basically so that there's not too much um, there's no interaction of people that's not absolutely necessary.
0: So does that feel strange you've effectively
3: almost moved house? It it does feel strange Um, I I sort of have to be close to the business um, but now for the last sort of five weeks I've been nearly exclusively doing I'd say 12 to 15 hours a day just of customer correspondence um, on social media and emails that we wouldn't usually get. So it's just been all hands on deck trying to, to get those orders out from the backlog.
1: That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. Well, I must, I must say that um, I have heard from so many people who you have just made their day, made their week, at, who have managed to get an order Thank you. from you. <laughs> so Thank you so it's absolutely much. brilliant what you're, what you're doing. It's extraordinary the amount of effort you've all had to put in to, to step up. But I know that you've made a lot of people very happy with everything you've managed to do.
0: Yeah, Thank you. I'm in a few facebook groups and i can see somebody'll post oh quick it's open oh my god it open. I've got, or i've got my flower i've got 16 kilos of flower and it's like mm. a whole a whole new way of of people looking at things well you listen do at that. some point in some way this will end and what we're trying to do is is understand what are you missing about this new way of being in other words what are you really looking forward to when this is all over
2: i um,
3: I think most looking forward to on a really um, simple level is just being able to go out and buy, really, you know, choose my ingredients (laughs) for food at the moment because we can't really do just a really simple thing. But I love going out and picking fresh veg and cheese and those sorts of things. And um, obviously that's not an option and just seeing family and friends again um, and also hopefully a return to a more normal way of life which isn't you know sort of all hands on deck every day of the week and maybe going back to sort of doing my normal job day to day
0: absolutely yeah sounds good well thank you very 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 much for your time oh, thank today. you You're for having me. Busy. <laughs>
1: thank you so much Thank you so much for your time, Tessa. We really do appreciate it, especially at such a busy time. And, and thank you for everything that you're doing, because it is just such a joy to open that paper packet every time and cook with such beautiful flour. And I, I say that genuinely. It's just gorgeous. And I hope all your customers who are trying your flour for the first time will really realise and appreciate just how different and beautiful it is too.
0: And now let's meet our final guest of the week, baker Megan Charnock.
1: Megan Charnock is an artisan baker and the owner of Mini Miss Bread based in Saffron Walden in Essex. Megan walked away from the security of her corporate events career back in 2016 with a desire to take a new independent and creative direction. Having experimented with bread making, it was sourdough that really sparked her passion and Megan and her husband opened their small town centre bakery in 2018. In normal times they bake and sell organic sourdough and buns alongside local artisan produce from the shop but they've had to quickly adapt their business model as the crisis hit. Megan is now sharing her knowledge online with legions of home bakers keen to master sourdough. Megan Charnock welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast.
0: Thank you what a lovely introduction so, Megan, is Jules here? What exactly is sourdough? What, what, how is it different from normal bread, and how did you get into it? So, sourdough is a bread that is
4: made without any commercial yeast. So the yeast that you would buy in a a shop that no one can get hold of at the moment, you don't need that to make this bread. You use a natural starter instead of the yeast, which is made from just flour and water and then the naturally occurring yeasts and bacteria that are all around us. And that is what you use to um, leaven the dough so it rises and ferments. Um, And as a result, it is far better for you. It's far better for your gut health because it takes about three days to make because you're not using a commercial yeast. It's a much slower process. So the gluten breaks down over those three days far more than it ever would in a commercial loaf of bread. And also, whilst that's all happening, the flavour is developing day by day, hour by hour, and you're getting a really delicious loaf of bread at the end of it. Um, and it's also got that slight sour taste to it, which again comes about from um, the length of time it's left to ferment. So that is sourdough in a nutshell. Um, why did I get into it? I guess when I first st- uh, took took the decision to, to take a leap of faith and start something new, I, I saw a massive gap in the market in, in Saffron Walden for... Good quality, high quality bread. There were lots of places that sold, you know, very nice
1: looking bread,
4: but with a little bit of research and lots of tasting, I soon realized it wasn't um,
1: real bread, isn't it? <laughs> it, it makes a difference.
4: Mm. And there was so much bread that was out there described as sourdough that actually had yeast in it as well. And there's this thing that, um, you can get sourdough flavorings now to make a commercial loaf taste like sourdough. That's and, the
1: supermarket loaves, isn't it?
4: Yeah, exactly. Shockingly. Um, they call it sour faux. It's now got a name. It's not the real thing. Um, and then it was, I was just looking for courses to, to learn to make bread better. And it was, you know, it was sourdough that just really appealed to me. I went on a course with Vanessa Kimball. Um, who runs the sourdough school and it was just a one-day course and the whole process is just so interesting and so much more than just whipping up a loaf of bread in a couple of hours and it um, just becomes a bit addictive after a while and so one loaf became three loaves and I practiced and practiced had so many disasters Um, lots of pancakes and then eventually one of my neighbors, um, I gave her a loaf just to sample for me and she said it was the best loaf of bread she's ever eaten in her life and she's 80 odd. And I kind of thought, right, I, I've got something here. And so I just took the, uh, the leap of faith and started charging for it, which was terrifying, but actually once you take that leap of faith and you start getting more and people that hear about it, uh, word of mouth is the most amaz- amazing marketing tool.
0: And uh, it just grew from there. Fantastic. It just it just grew from there. And there you go. There you
4: go. Very good.
0: <laughs> grew very nicely. Uh, You're reminding me of my own journey from uh, kitchen table and, and making something nice for my family. And... Um, you know, then starting to sell it. And it is terrifying, but it's obviously going well for you. And I think there's certainly, um, you know, in in Moorish, my hummus company, we we monitor food trends and what's big and what's coming through. And we've Mm. seen sourdough, you know, growing as a a trend. It's growing in popularity and has been for a little while. Uh, But Mm. people have gone particularly mad for sourdough in the uh, COVID-19 crisis. Why do you Mm. think that might be? It's because, well, obviously
4: the the craze for it was there beforehand in terms of eating it, but people haven't had the time to make it um, up until now. And home baking generally, it's not just sourdough, but people now all of a sudden have time to do all the home baking they always wish they could do. And sourdough in particular, like I mentioned, takes about three days to make one loaf of bread or a batch of dough. And people don't have three days to spare in their normal hectic lives. so all of a sudden they are not able to get the sourdough that they can usually get from their local bakery but they have access most of the time to flour and water and they can start this process from scratch they can make their own starter and within you know a week or two they can be baking amazing beautiful sourdough every day of the week and it's really satisfying you know you put everything into it and it's so um, Every loaf you make is different, you know, it's not like baking a cake where as long as you follow the rules exactly, it will come out exactly the same every time. It's, it's a natural, it's a living beast. So it's different every time and people love that. It's such a learning curve and a positive experience most of the time.
0: and I think I think that's it I think it's that joy of crafting something slowly you know again it's go we've Mm -hmm. talked about this um in a number of the the interviews that we've done for this podcast it's that that joy of going back to how things used to be when we weren't so frantic and always on the road and busy busy Mm -hmm. having time to do things um you know from scratch and properly and that would that would be a huge luxury in our quote normal lives, but at the moment the satisfaction and finding these positive, um joyful moments and and skills and pastimes that we just haven't been able to do, it is um, you know, without belittling at all the, the really serious nature of the situation, it, it there is something really lovely about being able to go back to these artisan techniques and you know anyone can do these things anyone can make a sourdough loaf if you put into practice um you know the, the fairly basic instructions having said that I still struggle to make one um and keep my starter alive and you know make mm. a new loaf every time I've never really got past the week or two um beginning phase of of the excitement without then losing faith and giving up because uh I forgot, well, maybe that was back in the olden days, pre-COVID, when I just didn't have time to keep on top of feeding the starter and, you know, doing it all properly. Maybe now I could do it. I think that's it. You have to, if you,
4: as as a living, bake bread every day, then your starter is being fed every single day, so it's easy. If you're just baking, at best, one loaf a week, you still have to keep your starter, your mother, alive. And that's another commitment that you've got to fit into your really busy routine which when you can just go down the road and pick up a loaf from your bakery it's sadly a lot easier but there is such I mean I think it was almost starting to happen a little bit before um, the, the outbreak because you know people are starting to get more into slow food aren't they and you know there's a bit more interest in fermentation generally and kimchi and those sort of things and it's People are starting to realize with just a little bit of time, not much skill, but just a bit of devotion, really. You can come away with really delicious tasting foods um, and cool. you get the satisfaction from making it as yourself from scratch with very few ingredients or, or skill, like I say.
0: And it's <sighs> so satisfying. And I've been making sauerkraut and that is Ooh. so straightforward that even I can make that without the wheels falling off and it's incredibly satisfying and it's also super good for you and it's back to these natural fermentation processes and doing things like we did in the old days my children laugh and call it massaged cabbage because they say well what's in it mummy?" and I'm like it's just cabbage that I massage in salt and some caraway seeds, and so you know, this massaged, relaxed cabbage is what I eat. And they think yeah. I'm bonkers, but I know it's doing me good, and it's delicious. And, and you know what's got into it as well? We were—we can't believe it. My
4: husband, just the last few days, has been making um, wraps. Our children love wraps for lunch, and we always just pick up a bag of tortilla wraps when we go to the shops but we haven't been going to the shops so much. So he was like, well, I can make them. How hard can it be? And then he was looking at the ingredients on this bag of wraps and it's got pork fat in it. And you're thinking, why, why does a bag of wraps need to have that in? It doesn't. I think and one of the worst bread, things
1: for nasty ingredients, actually, when you look at the back, supermarket bread is, is not it's good.
4: Shocking. It's so depressing, especially, I mean, sourdough is different because it does take a long time, but normal bread made with, is with a yeast, again, it's just three ingredients, and it doesn't need to have all this, all these nasties in, it's, it's depressing. But again, life is, life is bonkers, and people need quick food as well as slow food. So, you know, I, who am I to criticise it? But it is a bit depressing
0: at the same time. Well, one of the three ingredients is flour. Mm. and anyone who's uh, looking at anything food related at the moment will see there is a real shortage of flour so what surprised me in the first few weeks was um, those chips that I I did make to the supermarket I would look at the flour section and it was completely empty but yet there was bread on the shelves, so people were shunning the bread and buying flour either in the uh, you know the, the thinking that they would have to plan to make bread at some point or maybe just the idea of having time on their hands and they wanted to give it a try but I've, I've read a bit into it and you know why this shortage uh, is there and is taking so long to rectify. I think it's starting to come back now as the flour mills are um, you know adjusting to the demand but what do you think is is going on in the mills and and this shortage of flour?
4: So from what I understand it isn't that there is a shortage of flour or grains at the mills. They've got all the the grain there. It's just getting it out quickly enough, turning it around quickly to meet the massive increase in demand at the supermarkets. And the mills, at the moment, ordinarily, they only, um, I think only about four or 5% of the flour that they package up goes to supermarkets or shops, you know, in small bags. The rest goes out in bulk to bakeries and food manufacturers. So all of a sudden, the supermarket's demand has gone through the roof and they just haven't got the the packing ability or resource in their mills to keep up with that demand. So where there was a suitable amount of flour when we were all baking once a month, um, there now just isn't the... the, production to put enough on the shelves for people that are baking four or five times a week and it's it's a struggle I hear they're, they're trying to adapt but it's I think it's packaging it into those small bags that their, their production processes aren't set up for that and I think they are trying to adapt but at the moment it's it's not easy especially when you know half of their staff are isolating as well so they are working around the clock to meet demand where they can but it's still not
1: enough. It's the one thing I've not been able to buy. And I am a sourdough baker. I'm a baker. Um, so I'm, and actually, I wrote a book about fermentation and sourdough five years ago. Oh, yeah. I've never had more inquiries or questions, yeah. sort of yeah. looking at forgotten techniques. But I'm trying to get my starter, keeping it lively and giving it to people because mm. everyone's interested. I can't get the flour. And then my local mill, Shipton Mill, which I think is your yes. mill, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. They're not selling. They're, they're released lots in batches. as so many are now online, and they go in under 15 minutes. It's absolutely it's extraordinary.
4: Mad, it? I mean, so, how incredible. are you
1: finding your supply? They are, they are supplying bakeries and small businesses still, aren't they? So, are you yes, still able to are. get your sacks of flour?
4: Yes. So, although our bakery we've had, we've closed it, we made the decision to close ours. A lot of bakeries have stayed open, but for many factors, I won't bore you with. We made the decision to to close. But we, um, it kind of came about a bit of a coincidence really because we had a huge flower order in place before we closed and it got delayed when things all started to go a little bit funny and it got delayed for a good two or three weeks by which time we'd closed. So I diverted it to come to our home thinking, well, I don't want it at the shop. I, you know, people break in and goodness knows what will happen. Um, so we got it here and it was 500 kilograms turned up on, on my driveway. Coincidentally, on the day that my husband had to go away for a few days, so I had to lug 500 kilograms of flour with my girls just sitting and laughing at me. I've never felt like... Oh. Who needs the gym? <laughs> I know, I certainly said, who needs Joe Wicks anymore when you've got 500 <laughs> kilograms of flour? Um, so we were still able to get that, um, that order, and that has carried on for the last few weeks. We've still been able to, to put that order in. So what we've been doing, because obviously we're not producing the same amount that we were um, at the bakery, but we realise we have a bit the ability to get the flour that others can't. So we have just been spending our days packing it up into one kilogram bags, taking orders and delivering it round to residents of Sutton Walden and surrounding villages. Some people have been taking big sacks off us and then packaging it up themselves for their friends and family as well, um, which is just... Thank goodness, you know, I just feel so glad that I can get flour out to people. It's not enough still, you know, especially people that are now on the sourdough train and they're having to refresh all the time. But it's one way for people to get the flour that they weren't otherwise able to. And it's good quality flour as well, which makes me happy.
1: And you work with a number of local dependent artisan businesses in terms of selling their products. Is there any collaboration going Lee? Is there any collaboration? What, sorry? going on locally with different products you sell local amazing butter is there anything nothing
4: at the moment we've had to keep it really simple um primarily because we've got our two young children at home so it was very hard for us to i find it really frustrating as i'm sure you do you're, when you own your own business, you just want to always be pushing forward and pushing forward and coming up with new ideas and collaborations is one of the biggest things that I like doing the most. But we had to be careful whilst we were both at home with the two children to not make life impossible for us and too stressful at a time that you know, is stressful enough for everybody. So I've just eased back on those sort of things for now. There's lots of conversations going on about things that we could possibly do when we get back to the shop. Um, but right now I haven't been doing any other collaborations,
0: Now It's a time for doing things differently and then planning for what might come next, isn't it? That's, that's how exactly. I,
4: Sorry,
0: have go you got any tips for making a starter or keeping a starter alive from somebody who has struggled a little bit?
4: Well, if you're making a starter from scratch, I have to admit, I've only once ever made a starter from scratch because once you've got a starter going, then then that's it. So I would never pretend that I'm an expert on making a starter. But what I do know and remember is patience. You know, you just got to keep going with it, keep feeding it. It takes about seven days to make a good starter from scratch. And there'll be days when you look at it and go, that doesn't look right, or it smells horrible. It can, the smell of starter can really change throughout those seven days. Um, but you've just got to keep going every day. Just keep going back and refreshing it and have faith. Don't try and do anything fancy with it. Sometimes people add apples and things to it, thinking that that's going to help, but it doesn't need it. Good quality flour. Um, If you want to give it a bit of boost, pop in a little bit of rye flour or a bit of wholemeal. But patience, I would say, is definitely the key. And just, just keep going with it, really.
0: Well, thank you very much for that. It is a very strange time that we're all living through at the moment. We're asking our guests what three things they're looking forward to when at some point in some form this is all over. What three things are you looking forward to, Megan? First and foremost, I was, I was speaking to my husband about this the other day.
4: We really miss our customers. The, the shop that we, we run is it's very small but we have built up a really amazing community around minimist bread which started when we first set up the business from home. People would come and cut their bread from our front door. So we got to know people really personally and it's just grown and grown whilst we we're at the shop. We know the majority of our customers, we know what's going on in their lives, the ups and downs and we really miss them. You know, it's such a community. We have these incredible queues and everyone gets to know each other in the queues and they talk to each other and see each other every week. And I think they're probably missing that as much as we are. So we we can't wait just to see everybody again because it's, it's part of the Saffron Molden community, the, the minimist tribe, as we call it. So that's definitely our, our number one. Um, filling up the the shelves, the bread shelves again. Whenever I drive past the shop at the moment, I just feel sad because it's our... It's our baby that we only opened a year ago and it's been such a success and to see it there just empty day in, day out, is it just goes against all my natural instincts. It's it's a bit depressing, so I can't wait to get that full of everybody's favourite loaves again. Um, It's quite exciting thinking what are going to be our specials in the first week we open because our customers have real, our double cheese loaf they go absolutely mad for. So I think we'll do double batch of double cheese and chocolate sourdough <laughs> and, and then finally our, we sell cinnamon buns which are really popular I think it's half the reason we have these queues because we um, bake them literally 10 minutes before we open the door so they're oh, still really warm and squidgy and delicious and I mean it's been better for my waistline but I cannot wait <laughs> to have cinnamon buns on tap again or the cardamom buns which we just started doing before we closed which are incredible and. I miss them and the smells, you know, of making these things in, in a small space. It's the smells that just waft out of the shopper are, are amazing. So
0: delicious! well yeah. I have to say, these interviews always make me incredibly hungry, and this one has not wrong liver. Wrong story. <laughs> <laughs> Got a hankering for a bun now. <laughs> I know, I know. Thank Actually, you very much, I'm Megan. People asking us to set up
4: um to do some of my tutorials on our, on our cinnamon buns, so that might be the next step but that does require yeast which we can't get hold of so
0: maybe one one day well thank you for your time we'll put links to your website on our website thank you we wish you well throughout the situation and hopefully we'll talk on the other side thank you same to you both thanks for having me
1: so jules what's been happening in your world of food and drink this week as a supplier into the supermarkets
0: Thank you for asking, Charlotte. I have prepared us a small news bulletin, which I hope is helpful. Here we go. Aldi has become the latest supermarket to launch a voucher scheme, allowing volunteers to shop for the vulnerable. The vouchers can be bought by the self-isolating at vouchers.aldi.co.uk and posted to any address in the UK for friends, family or volunteers to shop on their behalf. ASDA, M&S and Waitrose have also recently launched new payment schemes to allow volunteers to shop for those most vulnerable to coronavirus. If you have received a letter and want to get a priority supermarket delivery slot you need to visit the website on the letter and fill out the form. The government is sharing a database of people on the shield list with supermarkets to help them assign priority slots. However, the government is not sharing the entire shield list. To get on the database shared with supermarkets, letter recipients must register at www.gov.uk forward slash coronavirus extremely vulnerable. The online form will ask for your name and details and your NHS number. That number is on the letter. The form also asks, do you have a way of getting essential supplies delivered at the moment? For example, friends or family who can make sure you have enough food. To get on the shared list with supermarkets, you must answer no. And finally, in ingredient supply news, dairy situation is desperate, according to the NFU. Social media videos of farmers pouring milk down drains is testament to the strife currently facing the industry, the result of the collapse in food service leading to both falling prices and tumbling demand. With no support yet coming from DEFRA, many farmers are seriously looking at whether they can afford to stay in the industry, says NFU Dairy Board Chairman Michael Oakes. And in beef news, while COVID-19 has driven mass demand for minced beef among shoppers, premium cuts such as steak and hindquarter are being left behind. It is resulting in significant carcass imbalance issues exacerbated further by the loss of food service business. Supermarkets' decision to source mints from Poland for the first time since the horse meat scandal highlights the scale of the problem and caused fury among British farmers. That's it for now. We'll have more industry news next week.
1: So this week, we've been delighted to receive your questions about cooking during Covid.
0: Yes, Charlotte, we need your expertise for our listeners. The first question we have is, can you smoke a sea bass? What do you think?
1: Well, the answer is yes. So you can smoke any fish, and seabass nicely when it's smoked. Combination of the fish and the smoke flavor are really natural. It's really excellent pairing. So, and um, there are two ways you can smoke the fish. You can smoke it whole, or you can smoke the fillets, and you can either smoke them hot or cold. So by hot smoking uh, you'll cook them over a higher temperature and typically this is done at sort of 50 to 100 degrees and that means that the the fish will actually be cooked as well as smoked. This is actually the easiest way of smoking any kind of fish or meat um, because it can be done in any vessel that has a lid. So that might be a lidded barbecue for example if you've got a kettle barbecue with a lid or maybe a wok or a pan with a lid that you can do over the stove in your kitchen. And it works really well in any kind of kitchen, even if you live in a flat, for example. You don't need to have the doors and windows open. You can just run an extractor fan and it will work really nicely. So you probably need to hot smoke um, a piece of fish for about 20 to 30 minutes to get the flavor and make sure it's cooked. And you can use a range of woods or maybe even tea or rice to give flavor. You might need to put some salt or... Sorry, you will need to put some sorry, you'll need to cure your fish before you smoke it. And to do that, you'll probably want to put on about 100 grams of salt per kilo of fish. And all you need to do is sprinkle that on, leave it for two to six hours, and then rinse it off and pat it dry before you start to smoke the fish. You can also cold smoke it. And most people will be familiar with cold smoking, which is done at a lower temperature, typically up to 29 degrees Celsius. If you're going to cold smoke any ingredients, you will need a special cold smoking piece of equipment, though, because the cold smoking tends to take place in a different chamber to the heat source. So you can buy some inexpensive cold smokers to use at home, or you can build one. And these will work really nicely. Uh, The fish, however, will not be fully cooked through, but it will be safe to eat. So there are two nice ways of doing it, and it's very, very easy to smoke fish at home.
0: And actually, I love cold smoking. It's how I smoke the chickpeas for the hummus recipe. And at first, I did it at home, um, and I had a, a Pro Q Eco Smoker, which is like a sort of a tall cardboard box, and you buy the little wood chips and all the equipment from the website. We'll put a link to that on our website and you can smoke, we smoke salmon and all sorts of interesting ingredients that you can smoke, cold smoke at home with this um, little machine. So that's pretty good. What would you eat smoked sea bass with? Obviously I've had smoked salmon and smoked haddock and things. Smoked sea bass, I don't think I've ever had that. What would you have it with Charlotte?
1: Well, smoked fish pairs really nicely um, for some of the most simple options uh, with eggs. So scrambled eggs uh, are really, really nice with smoked fish. Uh, they are lovely in salads. They're really nice on toast, for example. So there are lots of simple ways you can enjoy smoked fish. It's also really nice to have smoked fish as part of a cold platter for a starter. A selection of cold, um, cold fish, maybe a, a little bit of smoked sea bass, smoked mackerel, smoked salmon or something, maybe with some homemade mayonnaise with some herbs in. It would be an absolutely amazing, either cold starter, cold lunch, and it's just so good.
0: Wow, that sounds very nice indeed. So that was from Simon in the Cotswolds. I'm sure he'll be delighted to hear what you had to say, and that's really helpful. The next question comes in from Jenny in Hampshire, and she's asking, now I actually thought she'd got this question the wrong way round, and I checked with her. She's asking how to use fresh tomatoes in a recipe that calls for tinned tomatoes, or passata. I thought... She was trying to use tin tomatoes instead of fresh, but she's not. And the reason for this is very particular to this situation at the moment where she's not able to get tin tomatoes in her local shops. So she was wondering, you know, how many tomatoes do you use to make the equivalent of the tin tomatoes? And do you have to cook them first? And how does that all work?
1: Well, this is really interesting. I mean, typically at this time of the year, I would probably be choosing tin tomatoes over fresh because the fresh ones aren't at their sweetest at the moment. That tends to be a bit later in the summer, but obviously this is not situation normal. So first thing um, to answer your question is a tin of tomatoes is usually around 400 grams. So I'd be looking at trying to match the same weight of, of, as that in a recipe. If I were using, if I was substituting, for example, um, fresh tomatoes for a tin of chopped tomatoes, then I'd probably want to peel them first by plunging the tomatoes into boiling water, leaving them to soak for a minute or so, carefully removing them from the water and then the skins will just slip off. I always take out the calyx as well and then I chop them and put them in the recipe. Now that should work really well technically it should be fine in the recipe. Some people might want to remove the seeds if you're making a particular sort of recipe um, you wouldn't need the seeds in there but the key point is I think um, fresh tomatoes may need a little bit of seasoning at this time of year to really balance the flavor. So I'd be adding salt and possibly pepper to depending on what I'm making. But you may an inch of sugar as well just to balance the flavor because the tomatoes don't have um, as much sweetness at this time of year as they might do in a couple of months. So that would be my recommendation there.
0: So just a pinch of sugar is definitely a good point. I was once given a lasagna That was like a dessert it was absolutely horrendous and I think somebody must have dropped the sugar bowl into the tomato sauce when they were making it so that's all it was a long time ago it's always stuck with me be very careful with the amount of sugar that you put in your tomatoes but yes it is nice to have a little bit of sweetness isn't it absolutely then we have a question from Neil near Portsmouth. He says he's struggling to get eggs at the moment. And actually, I've heard that there is a real issue with eggs and um, you know, the supply and demand. We might be looking at higher prices coming through just because uh, we literally cannot get enough eggs for the amount of eggs that people are trying to buy. So what would you do if you wanted to do some baking, Charlotte, and you didn't have any eggs?
1: Oh, that's really interesting. Well, there are a number of options you can um, you can do to replace eggs in a recipe, and this is really interesting if you're looking at making a recipe vegan. Um, or just trying to manage um, your supply of eggs. So a couple of options for you. First of all, you can use fruit as a replacement for an egg. Now that tends to work best in cakes. So that might be, for example, a mashed ripe banana or some apple puree or apple sauce, as it's called in the US. So that's commonly added to a lot of fruity cakes to replace an egg. Another option for you is something called aquafaba. Now aquafaba is actually quite fashionable at the moment. It is the liquid strained from cooked legumes. So this could be uh, liquid strained from dried pulses that have been cooked or the liquid that comes in a tin. So when you drain a tin of pulses, you'll notice a sort of gloopy liquid. That is actually the aquafaba. So that will be uh, a really good replacement for eggs in a recipe. So the rough guide for measuring it out is to use around two to three tablespoons to replace an egg. And this does actually whip really well. So it works as a fantastic replacement for egg in mousses and aiolis, mayonnaises and even meringues. So that's a really good one to know about. I'm sure it's on your radar, Jules.
0: Yes, the tin chickpea water is something we've been asked for more and more um, in terms of supply from the factory. Um, It's something that I've made it myself. I've made chocolate mousse using aquafaba um, almost as an experiment, just to see if I could believe what I was told, which is, you know, it does does give structure to things in an egg-like way. And uh, I was really pleased that it did not taste of chickpeas at all because that would be very strange when making sweet recipes. So it, it was very effective, and the product was very delicious.
1: Amazing. I do have one more recommendation for you, actually. It's uh, camelina seeds. Now, camelina seeds are a small seed that's grown in the UK. They're mainly grown in East Anglia, and they're sometimes known as gold of pleasure. And they, it's a crop that's been grown for thousands of years, but they work fantastically well. Um, as an egg replacement so you can find these you can easily buy them online and lots of health food shops are starting to sell them now all you need to do is to take a tablespoon of these seeds and soak them in three tablespoons of warm water for half an hour and that will replace an egg so you can just put that directly into a recipe and interestingly you're talking about egg shortages I've also been hearing this week that there's a shortage of egg boxes as well because the materials that are used to make the egg boxes are being repurposed into face masks at the moment which is just extraordinary.
0: Wow these crazy times the things that you hear I, that's absolutely amazing I did not know that and I wonder how they will then replicate the supplies of egg boxes for egg boxes and um, if they're being repurposed for something that is obviously much more important that's really interesting well listen we love hearing from you our listeners and if you have a question you'd like to ask us about cooking during covid please do drop us a line on hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk or find us on social media with the handle at pandemicpantrypodcast. So that was great. Thanks again to all our fabulous guests and lovely listeners. Remember to follow us on social media for all the great competitions we're running. For the baking special, I can tell you that Martha Collison has kindly offered a signed book for one lucky winner. So look out for that on our social media. In the meantime, we look forward to talking to you again next week. So we'd just like to finish by saying thanks for listening, folks. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question about food and drink during the pandemic, drop us an email. We're on hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk. You can also follow us on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram under pandemic pantry podcast and if you'd like to enter our weekly competition to win a case of delicious moorish dips or one of our other great giveaways just head to our website and look in the competition section the website address once more is www.pandemic-pantry.co.uk and we'll see you next week